This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. So growing up, I remember the line, be thankful in all circumstances. Most of the time it got taken as be thankful for all things. And everyone was like, no, it's not for all things. It's in all things. As if that made it that much easier. Um, But it's just something where it's like there are times, there are moments and days and seasons in life where it's, it's just hard. It's hard to be thankful. It's hard to put on that smile and kind of fake it till you make it, let alone stop and give a sincere praise, give a sincere thanksgiving. But the Bible still tells us to give thanks. And so I just wonder how we do that. How, how do I give thanks when I'm in the darkest season of my life? And how do I give thanks to God when I'm struggling and everyone around's acting like they can't see her or they're just pretending that it's not there? And so I want to look at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 7 to kind of help us understand what it is that we need, what it is that we're lacking in order to be able to give thanks. So in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she had not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I know a lot of us have heard this story before, but I want to review it and just kind of see how God can reveal to us giving thanks in all things. So we're going to talk about gratitude. We're going to talk about having a grateful heart. And sometimes it's hard for us to remember what we're grateful for, especially when we compare it to things that we're frustrated with. If we sat down at the dinner table at Thanksgiving and we're like, all right, everybody, list something you're frustrated with. 
But something that angers you, all of us would right off the bat be like, I can't lose 10 pounds. My husband doesn't listen. The kids don't listen. I can't fix my car. It would, be, it would just be easy. We'd whirl it off right off our tongue. But when we ask someone to sit down and say, what are we thankful for? Everyone has to like pause for dramatic effect for 10 seconds because we can't think of anything. Or we're trying to think of something better than the person beside us. We're trying to think of what our parents would want us to say. What sounds more holy? What are we thankful for? I'm thankful for this. And really, you're just like, I'm thankful for the good weather. And it's like 52. But it's easy for us to roll out what we're not thankful for, what we're frustrated with, what we're annoyed with. Because we all have so many things like just easily on our minds that we aren't happy with, that we want to change. And a lot of times, it's the same with our seasons. The things that we don't like about ourselves, the things that we, don't, that we want to change, we don't appreciate because we don't like them. It's the same with the seasons in life. We don't like them because they're not blessing us like we want them to, because we're not getting out of it what we want to get out of it, what we think we should get out of it. And so we don't like it, so we don't appreciate it. We're not thankful for it. And then later on, after you've gone through that tough season and something harder comes along, you look back and you're like, oh, this helped prepare me. So now I'm so grateful for that. And that's great, but it would be so much better if we could do like Paul mentions in Romans 5 and learn to rejoice in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character to produce hope. If we could learn to rejoice in the suffering instead of waiting to get past this season of grumbling and complaining because we just don't like it and then five years down the road realize, I'm so grateful that I went through that. That's great. We all do it. There are things that I look back on and I'm like, I'm so grateful I went through that. And in the moment, it was all I could do to hold it together in the day. But I would just wonder how many blessings we miss and how many opportunities to be a blessing we miss because we don't know how to rejoice in the suffering, because we don't know how to rejoice in the hard season, because we can't just handle the hard season that we're dealing with and also still learn how to be grateful to God and still give him praise because he's worthy but we're too busy kind of like yeah I'm struggling I need this and I need this and I need God to do this and I need God to do this and instead of just like it's hard but he's still good and I don't understand it but he's still good so how many times we missed getting something from God or we missed giving something to someone else who needed that encouragement because we, we haven't learned how to rejoice in the suffering. And a lot of times it's because we don't understand why we're suffering. We're too busy concerned about why we're going through things. But Jesus even tells us in John that we, you don't understand what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. We don't understand it now, but later we will. And that's Sometimes that's all you can do. All you can do is just trust God in the moment. Just trust that he's good. Just trust that he loves you and that he's working in your lives for the best, for his glory. And you just worship him regardless of how you feel. You just trust him. You don't understand it now, but later you will. So you just trust him in the moment. And I get it. It's hard. Gratitude to be thankful and to be grateful in all things, kind of like the Christian life, because it's part of the Christian life, it's not easy. But that's, that's kind of the message, is that if it was easy, everyone would do it. If it was easy, it wouldn't be like a rare gem to find that one friend who's always happy and who's always thankful. Those people are rare. When you find that person who can just, even on their, their worst day, 
when you think that they could just go home and just kind of have a moment and give up, they come in and they're like, it, was, it, was, it wasn't the best day, but you know what? God's good, and I'm just trusting and believing that tomorrow's going to be better. Those people are rare because if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, it's normal for us to kind of just focus on the negative, to focus on the things that we don't like, the things that we want to change. And occasionally we might say thanks and appreciate it, but we don't actually have that heart that's ready to return that appreciation, to show that appreciation, the heart that, of someone who just lives with gratitude, who lives that grateful life. I mean, even today, if we're going to be honest, a lot of us probably could get in our cars right after church, right after we talk about being grateful, we sing and praise God for how good he is. A lot of us could get in our cars today and, all right, I got to go find some lunch so that I can get home so I can prepare food to get tonight. And then I got to do this to get to work tomorrow. And we got three more days and then we're going to be off for a holiday. But I got to see cousin Becky over here and I don't want to talk to her. And we would just immediately go on this list of things that we don't want. And it's just grumbling and complaining. And it's just human nature. Does that make it right? No. That's what makes it wrong. It's because it's a fleshly attitude. And only the love and the grace of Jesus can truly change that nature. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we need Christ to change us, to make us new. We need to crucify the flesh on a daily basis to learn how to be grateful. Not just occasionally, but to live every day serving with a grateful heart. And so... We see in Luke chapter 7 that Jesus is invited by a man to his house. Now, this man is a Pharisee. So he's one of the religious high uppity people, and they don't actually accept Jesus for who he is. They don't accept him for who he's claimed to be. He's claimed to be the Messiah. He's claimed to be God incarnate, God in the flesh, and the Pharisees don't believe him, so they mock him for this. And Simon's very critical of him. However, he decides to invite Jesus over. Now, whether it be because he's trying to kind of investigate a little bit, he's trying to figure out who Jesus really is, he decides to invite him over. And Jesus accepts. That's, like, so Jesus, is that you criticize him, and you belittle him, and you doubt him, but the moment that you want him, he's there. And what got me when I thought about this was that, could we say the same? Could we say we do the same? We always read stories and we're like, well, are you Mary or are you Martha? Are we Simon or are we the woman? Can we just be Jesus for a moment? Can we just be the person who says, hey, they've hurt me and they don't like me and they talk bad about me, but when they ask you to stop and pray for them, can we do that? If they say, hey, can you grab a bite to eat with me after lunch so we can talk, could we break bread with somebody? Could we be Jesus for a moment? So it just kind of struck me that Jesus accepts this Pharisee who doesn't actually believe in Jesus to be who he is, invites him over, and Jesus says, yeah, I'll come over. So they gather around the table, and they're enjoying a meal, and then there's this woman. And we're most, we most likely conclude that she's a prostitute. So there's many different ways that the versions in the Bible will tell you about this woman. She's an immoral woman. She's a woman in the city. But we conclude she's a prostitute. So she walks in on this meal, and I don't think she was actually intending to disrupt the meal. I don't think she was intending to be disrespectful by any means, but rather I think that she's so moved by Jesus. Whether it be a past experience with him or just she's heard the teachings of him and she wants to meet him, we just see that she's, 
she's excited to be near him and she has to be here and she's grateful to him and she has to be at his feet and to worship him. And so she comes in and she falls on her knees and she takes what's probably the most expensive and the most valuable thing that she has and she breaks it at his feet. And I say that it's probably the most valuable thing that she has because some would suggest that the perfume is her livelihood because as a prostitute, you're going to have to smell good to get business. And it's awkward, but it, that's part of the job. You're going to have to smell good. And so for her, this rare, this expensive perfume is part of her way of life. It's part of how she does her job. It's part of how she does her business. But here she is breaking it and pouring it over the feet of Jesus. And it's nice because we get to read it and we get to look at it from the Christian standpoint and say, oh, that's so beautiful. That's so poetic. But can we look at it from the Pharisee side for a minute? If I walked in your house, you sat down, and you're having dinner with your family, and you're all talking, and you're laughing, and all of a sudden, I just kind of come through the door, and I sit at your feet, and I start crying, and I take your shoes, and I take your socks off, and I start rubbing some lotion and oil on your feet. Let's be real, you probably wouldn't let me get that far. By the time I walk to the door, if you let me in, you're going to wonder why I'm there. And then if I start crying, you're really going to wonder what's going on. And you wouldn't dare let me just sit down and start taking your sock and shoe off without talking to you. But Jesus doesn't say anything. He doesn't stop her. But all the Pharisees around the table kind of like, what in the world is going on? Maybe if we just don't say anything, she'll go away. Let's just ignore it. Jesus doesn't say anything, let's ignore her, and maybe she'll do her thing and get up and go, and we won't, we'll just pretend this didn't happen. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus draws attention to her. And that's what, in reading this, it was another thing, and I was like, that's so Jesus, is that when everyone else is ready to just kind of ignore you, and ready just to pretend that this isn't happening, and let's just kind of walk away and let her do her thing and have her moment, and then we'll come back and act like this didn't happen. Jesus sees it. He sees your struggle. He sees your hurt. He sees when you're worshiping him when no one else isn't, and he draws attention to that. There's nothing that you're going to do that God's not going to see. And so he says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. And Simon says, please, teacher, say it. So then Jesus talks about this parable, and he's like, there's two men in debt. One owes 500 pieces of silver, one owes 50. Both are canceled. Who do you suppose loved him more? I love how the message version says, which of the two would be more grateful? Because that's essentially what it is. They're grateful. So because they're grateful, because the debt was canceled, they show love and they show appreciation. And so Simon, I thought of Simon in this moment, and I thought about something me and my mom say, and I got it from her. But when we're in a store, like yesterday, and you're working with a deal, like, what should you get here? And they're like, hey, would you like to get this credit, this, this membership here? And I'm like, mm, is it a credit card? No. Do I have to pay for it? No. So all I have to do is give you my email, and then you're just going to, like, they're just going to give me, like, 100 bucks on my birthday. Okay, well, it doesn't take long to do the math. I'm going to sign up for it. Or, like, when you have a deal, it just doesn't take long to figure out what's the better deal. And so Simon's kind of like, probably the one forgiven the larger debt as opposed to the one forgiven the smaller one. And Jesus was like, yep, that's right. Okay. Where are you going with this? Well, what was the point of that? 
But then Jesus turns around in 44 and he says, he, he turns to the woman and he says to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and she's wiped them with her hair. And you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. And you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she's anointed my feet with rare perfume. So what you have to understand is that back in those days, hosting a guest was like a form of art. It was a big deal. It was an incredible honor. Nowadays, you're just like, it's open. Come on in. And at best, you'll put the food out on the table and be like, all right, just grab what you want. It's right here. If not, you're like, it's in the fridge. You know where it's at. But back then, you would prepare for hours, if not days, for a guest to arrive. And when they did, oil was often used to anoint the guest head. And that was the way of saying, you're honored in our family, and we welcome you. And here's Jesus, and he's kind of calling him out. He's like, you didn't treat me like an honored guest. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't anoint my head. You didn't do this. Simon probably didn't do it because he probably didn't think of Jesus as an honored guest. He was very skeptical of him. He didn't believe him. He didn't think him to be the Messiah, but an imposter. But there's this woman. This isn't her home. But against all pride, against all social norms, she shows up at his home with the intentions to anoint his feet, with her oil ready to anoint his feet. And so I can imagine that whether it's be she's had a past experiences or whether she's just heard the teachings, she knows that Jesus is going to be here. So she shows up, and she shows up early. And we can assume that because Jesus said from a time I first came in, she hasn't stopped kissing. It wasn't when, when the time she came in five minutes later after I've been here. It was from the time that he got there. So she was already there because by the time he showed up, she was already kissing his feet, and she didn't stop. Even as he was telling Simon this story, she didn't stop. She didn't stop the worship. She didn't stop the tears. So she most likely waited for Jesus to arrive and expecting, as was the custom, that his feet would be washed by Simon or one of Simon's servants, and that then she could go and anoint his feet. But his feet weren't washed. Now, that didn't stop her from doing what she intended to do. So she, she dare not kiss Jesus on the face because that was Simon's job. That was what he should have done as the host. But she kissed his feet, his, his dirty feet, might I add. And as she does so, the tears begin to flow. And I can't help but relate to her if I feel like I'm surrounded by people who don't appreciate Jesus, who just can't understand what he's done for us, I can't help but get emotional because I'm like, he's so much, like, he's worthy. Why can we not just wash his feet? Why can't we just wash his feet? And so she, she goes to kiss his feet and tears fall because she had no way of knowing that they weren't going to do the custom and they weren't going to wash his feet. She didn't show up with just this extra bowl and this bottle of water and these rags so she could wash his feet. She washes them with her tears, and she dries them with her hair. And can I remind you, in 1 Corinthians 11, it talks about how long hair is a woman's glory. So she's washing his feet, and she's drying his feet with her most glorious part. And then she breaks the oil, her livelihood, 
at his feet so she could anoint him to worship him. And why? This isn't her home. This isn't her job. She's not the host. But she's treating him with this honor and this respect when no one else is because she knows who he is. And she's grateful for who he is and what he's done. And I think that that's one of the biggest obstacles for us to have a grateful heart is that we fail to realize what we have in Jesus. Simon couldn't see Jesus for more than the man. He couldn't recognize in his house was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the Messiah and the Savior, the one who was about to die for him. He couldn't recognize that. And I can't help but wonder, although we aren't Pharisees and although we don't walk around and say, oh, I doubt that Jesus is Lord, we walk around like Jesus is Lord. I think sometimes we also fail to recognize that Jesus is in our home, that Jesus is in our heart. And we fail to, re to realize and to remember that we have all we need in Jesus. Sometimes we fail to remember everything that we have in him. And that we have peace, and we have love, and we have strength, and we have forgiveness. And I think sometimes we like to throw out forgiveness as like, that's just forgiveness. Like, yeah, we've got forgiveness. When did forgiveness become just forgiveness? Better yet, when did Jesus become just Jesus? When did it become that's just Jesus? Oh, yep, I've been forgiven. That's the whole gospel. That's the greatest story ever told is that the Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin so we could become the righteousness of God in him. Can we grasp that for a second? That none of us are good, none of us are worthy, but God loved us so much that he took it upon himself in the form of man, fully man, fully God, the punishment, the weight of all of our sins, all of our wrongs, all of our wickedness. And it wasn't just ours right now, but it was all past, present, and future sins. He took it upon himself so that we could be accepted and enter into a relationship with him, so that we could come in on a Sunday morning, or you could, at home, in the shower, in the living room, in the car, wherever it may be, but you could come in and you could, like it says in Psalm 100, enter his gates with thanksgiving and in his courts with praise and you can be thankful and you can bless his name for he's good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures all generations. So when we're struggling to be grateful, when we feel like life isn't going how we want it, and we don't understand what we have to do to make things get better, to make things just change and be what we want them to be, if we could learn to stop and to be still and to know that he is God, if we could recognize him for who he is and for what he's done for us and that he's demonstrated his love for us so profoundly that he's literally given his life for us. We all know it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not just that you're loved, it's that you're so loved. And it's not just that you're forgiven, but you're so forgiven. And you're forgiven simply by receiving it, simply by receiving the gift that God gives you. You don't do anything. That's the beauty, but also sometimes the hard part about the gospel is that it's not on you. It's all about what God did, and you just have to receive it. And so knowing this, knowing that God loves us, 
and he did all these things because he loves us and he died for us and he's forgiven us and it's nothing about what we're going to do but it's all about him and who he is and how great and glorious and how much of a redeemer he is knowing him and who he is and realizing him and that he's constantly with us in our hearts since we've accepted him as our savior that helps us to always be grateful because you've always got something to be grateful for but simon simon couldn't see jesus for who he was but the woman could Jesus said in verse 47, I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who's forgiven little shows only little love. And again, I love how the message version states it as she was forgiven many, many sins. So she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. So it brings me to another like, obstacle we have concerning gratitude is pride. One of the greatest obstacles to a grateful heart is that we believe we're good, is that we don't consider ourselves forgiven because we didn't do anything to need forgiveness for, because we did no wrong, because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And not in like a condescending way, like a very deep prideful way, but sometimes we just get caught up in like, I'm a good person, I go to church, I pay my tithes. I do my job pretty well. I don't yell at my kids that much. I'm a good person. No. Even Jesus tells us that no one's good but God. And I think that we as humans, we can do good things. We can do good things. But it doesn't change our selfish, fleshly nature. It doesn't change who we are as like born into sin. It's our flesh. It's what we're going to fight day in and day out until we're made perfect with God. And I think most of us actually do what, what Simon did. And he kind of thought in his own mind, well, if Jesus is who he says he is, he wouldn't allow this woman to touch him because she's a sinner. But so are we. How often we get jealous or we get upset because someone that we look at and we've seen their like terrible lifestyle has kind of changed it around. And now they're getting blessed by God and they're doing things and we get upset because God's not doing the same thing for us and we just don't understand because they ain't worthy of it because they lived more like a, a rough lifestyle than I have. We all sin. No sin's better, no sin is worse. No person is better and no person is worse. And we lose that attitude of gratefulness to the Father when we tell ourselves that we're good because we're comparing ourselves to other people. And so Simon thought he was he was a good person in comparison to her. And I like how, I was gonna show you guys a visual, but I just wanna like talk to you for a second. We look at sin like it's this bar graph. Like, I lied, I killed. And God looks at it all from heaven's point of view. And if you sinned, you've got a mark at your name. There is no one was greater than the other, everyone has a mark. Everyone sinned. Romans 3.23, for all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. James 2.10, for whoever shall keep the whole law but stumbles in one point is guilty of all. So the Bible tells us we've all sinned. If we've done one, we've done it all. None of us are better or worse than another. And I think another issue in the idea of us thinking that we're good is that we think we deserve something from God. Like we think he owes us something because we live a good life, because we haven't sinned recently, 
but I kind of want to ask you something. Are you responsible for your birth? Did you make the mountains? Did you cause the sun to rise this morning? Did you do any of that? Did you part the waters? Did you give to yourself the ability to lift your hand? No. God did. And he allows us to do those things because he loves us. Everything that we have is because God allows us to have it. Because he created us because he wanted us. Because he wants us and he pursues us. Because he loves us and wants us to be with him. And he blesses us because he is faithful. Because he is faithful. And I want you to get this because it really struck with me. Please don't mistake God's faithfulness to the promises that he makes to bless his children for the idea that you're good and therefore God owes you. God promises to bless his people and he does so because he's faithful to the promise that he made. But it's not you are good and therefore you are owed. It is God is good and God is faithful and God is true and what he says he do, what he says he'll do, he'll do it. Regardless of whether you stick to your promise or not, God will stick to his. And so all we have is because God allows us to have it, because he loves us. And for that, how can we not be grateful? How can we not praise him continuously? I want us, as we reflect on this season, because it's natural, we're in a Thanksgiving season, I don't want you to miss all the things God's blessed you with. I want you to remind yourself of all the things God's done for you. From the biggest life-changing moments that you've had, whether it be this year or the past year, to the small day-to-day things that we take for granted. For the getting up, for the ability to pick out what clothes you wanna wear, for you not being colorblind and you pick a decent looking outfit, and that you can curl your hair and you can put your makeup on and not stab your eye out because you've got that coordination going on, and that you can drive your car because if you had glasses, you were given the finances to buy the glasses that you need to drive your car, to get to the job that you've been blessed with, to work all day long, and to come home and still have enough energy and fuel to be with your family. Everything that we have is a blessing. But most importantly, I want you to remind yourself that you're so loved and you're so forgiven. Because even on your worst day, when you just you can't think of anything, You can't think of even the smallest things if you could just remind yourself that I don't understand it. I don't understand what's going on, but I know that you love me, and I can't feel it right now, but I know that you love me, and I know that I'm forgiven, and that it's just going to take a minute for me to understand why I'm going through it. If If we could understand that, we could keep a grateful heart because we would understand how loved and pursued we are and that there's a purpose for what we're going through. Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So we can give thanks in all circumstances because we trust that all circumstances are ordained by God that nothing is surprising him, that what you're going through, it does not surprise him. It's happening because he's allowing it to happen. 
And if he's allowing it to happen, it's for a purpose. It's for a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And it's for the good. So in conclusion, I just want to share with you, by definition, what it means to give thanks. What it means to be thankful. And I know it seems crazy, but God blesses me sometimes through definitions and it sounds ridiculous but when you actually focus on what it is that you're saying you're doing and what it is you're supposed to do it's just amazing what the Lord reveals to you it says to be thankful by definition to be thankful to express gratitude and relief and I almost didn't want to talk about it because I was like relief that's not where we're going at all with this but gratitude is readiness to show appreciation and to return kindness. And relief, the feeling of reassurance and relaxation following release from anxiety and distress. And so when you put all those together and you say, always be thankful, it means to always be ready to show your appreciation to the Lord. Always return kindness for he's been so good to us. And so always feel rest, to always feel reassured and relaxed because God has saved us and delivered us from our sin and our distress. So I want to invite in closing today. We're going to have a time of prayer. We'll have a time of thanks. But I want to ask if there's anyone here who you would say that you've never, you've never accepted the Lord as your savior. Maybe you've been like Simon and you've heard of him all your life, but you've always kept him at this distance. You've always kept him at the other side of the table and you've been skeptical. If there's anyone here that you would say today, I want to go that extra step and I want to know him and I want to accept him and I want to just, I want to be his and I want to be loved and I want to be forgiven. If there's anyone here who would say that that's you today, if you would just raise your hand so we could pray with you. Amen. Can we, can we just take a second right there and just praise the Lord, the fact that all of us proclaim that we're saved, that we know the Lord. Amen. And I want to ask, before we do a closing prayer out, if there's anyone, you've got something on your heart, you could say, that's great. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful, but I'm still struggling with something. And there's something still burdening me down and I just need someone to help hold me, hold me up in prayer. If that's you, if you've got something on your heart, big or small, and you want prayer, feel free to come forward. In fact, if everyone could just go ahead and stand. If there's something that's burdening you and you need prayer for it, feel free to come forward and we can pray with you about it. If not, if you could just grab the hand of the person next to you, we're going to close out in a prayer of thanksgiving and in a prayer of gratitude. Just worship him in the moment, Father God. We thank you for today, God. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for everything that you are, Lord. Everything that you are. God, sometimes we can't get past the things that you've done for us to just worship you for who you are, God, but we praise you for you are holy and you're worthy and you're good and you're faithful, Lord. You are almighty. 
God, and we thank you for everything you've done, God, for waking us up this morning, to getting us into your house, Lord, for the time of praise and worship, for the blessings that you've given us, for allowing us to feel your presence, God, to enter into your presence, Lord. God, to the word, for what it is that you've poured out on us, Lord. And I pray that you would help us as we continue throughout, not just today and not just this week, Lord, but through the rest of our lives, Lord, that we would overflow with a heart of gratitude, Lord, to you. Because what you've done for us, we could never repay. We could never give you back all that you deserve for what you've done for us, for saving us, for dying on the cross for us, to take away all of our sin, everything that we've done, sin that we might be struggling with, sin that we'll commit in the future, God, because we're human and sometimes we just fall. God, we thank you that you're going to be right there to pick us up and you're going to be right there to love on us and to forgive us again. God, we thank you for that forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for that love and that pursuit. God, and I pray that you would help each and every one of us, God, to just understand when we don't, when we don't understand what we're going through, that we could simply just say, you're God and you're good. And I'm going to praise you for this. And I'm going to be grateful for the things that you have done. And even the things that you're going to do, I'm going to praise you in advance, even though I can't see them, Lord. God, we give all things to you, God, and we just pray, Lord, that you would have your way, God, that you would help each and every one of us, God, to have a grateful heart, God, whether it be in the church and at work, Lord, wherever we're at, that people could look at us and they could say there's something different. There's that joy, there's that gratefulness of those who know you and who understand what you've done for us, God so that we could be a blessing to others, so that we could tell others what you've done. We could witness and we could spread the gospel, God, because it lives in our heart day in and day out, that gratefulness, Lord. God, we love you, Lord. We serve you. We praise you and adore you, God. And I just pray that you would bless every person here, Lord, from the tips of their toes to the very tops of their head. God, whatever need they have, whatever need it may be, Lord, we give it to you and we pray your will to be done in all things. God, we thank you and we pray that you would keep us safe, Lord, as we travel out today, God, and bring us back safely. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.